Hey, thanks so much for watching this message from Fresh Life Church. We're so grateful to all of you who join us on all of our online platforms here on this YouTube channel. And if this is your first time checking out Fresh Life, a very special welcome to you. We appreciate you being a part of this. Today we're re-releasing a message that Pastor Levi taught back in 2017, on this same week in 2017, so three years ago this week, from our Keep the Change series. It so resonated with us as a church, we wanted to make it available to you again. So enjoy the message. The, the Keep the Change series uh, has been all about change. We talked about picking the right change. We talked about the power for change. We talked about a plan for change. And then we talked in the fourth installment about protecting the change once you get it, protecting your progress. Because changing is only half the battle. You got to protect what's changed. This last message, I've been so excited the whole time to preach. Uh, I've just been looking forward to it, looking forward to it, thinking about it a lot. And, and I want to talk about the potential that change unleashes. The potential that change unleashes. And that is more change. Isn't that brilliant? Um, it's unleashed through the change that we achieve and then keep. It, it unlocks new change, and that's really the, the reward of it. And that's what makes change so precious. It makes it so precious because it, what, what it opens us up to. 1 Samuel 17 and 21, are you there? Let me catch you up, because both of these are episodes in the life of David. David, who is like one of the most famous people in the Bible. Outside of Jesus, we know more about David than we know about anybody else. And David, um, in 1 Samuel 17, is about to engage in his first televised fight. Arguably, his most famous moment and one of the most emblematic stories in the Bible. And I'm talking, of course, about the day that he fought a giant named Goliath. Now, you should know that in that day, sometimes when nations had a conflict or had some sort of a rift, they would at times elect to solve it on the battlefield, but instead of all of them engaging in warfare, they would each pick a champion. They would each basically pick a gladiator and send them to the center, and they would fight, and they would say, whether this was a border dispute or fighting over water rights or whatever it was, that whatever happens here in the middle uh, is what we're going to respect as, as, as the victor in this dispute, in this argument. It was basically like a super bloody form of paper, rock, scissors, right? So whatever happens here, that's the, that's the outcome. And uh, so that's what's happening. The Philistines, they picked the tallest, strongest guy they had, which is, of course, what you would do. And he goes out to the center. They're at a place called the Valley of Elah. You can still go there to this day. I was super psyched the first time I got to stand in the valley of Elam looking around I'm just picturing it because you know, there's natural hills on both sides and I'm imagining you know the Israelites over here the Philistines over there you know what I did I, uh, I wasn't sure I was supposed to but uh, when no one was looking I, I got down and I grabbed a, a smooth stone and I looked at it, I was like maybe this is the one <laughs> stuck it in my pocket you know? and uh, and I was I was excited about that I was hoping they wouldn't ask about it at customs later but um but uh, when, I, when I was getting back on the bus, I, I overheard the tour guide saying, I had to bring you back up here sometime late at night when, the, when they, the Israeli Department of Tourism brings the huge dump truck full of smooth stones and dumps them back out for all the suckers who uh, I threw my rock on the ground. Made in China, what the heck? Anyhow, um, so that's what was going down. David, how did he end up fighting Goliath? That's a good question, because he wasn't even a soldier. 
He was a shepherd. He wasn't even supposed to be there that day. The only reason he was even there is because he was doing what his dad told him to do. Here's the crazy thing. His dad said, hey, I need you to deliver some food to your brothers. So he's just bringing food to his brothers. And as he's carrying the food, the Bible says he brought loaves of bread and hunks of cheese, right? So basically glorified pizza delivery boy, right? Just pizza, bread and cheese. He's just bringing the pizza to his brothers. And he overhears Goliath making fun of the troops, making fun of the Israelites because no one had, had chosen to go fight, not a single person. So day after day after day, he's down there going, who's going to fight me? Who's going to fight me? Right, what you got? And no one is, is going. And he's saying, God, your God can't do anything. Your God is the worst. He's just belittling God, belittling the name of the Lord. And David cruises up and says, uh, is anybody going to go fight that enormously disrespectful giant down there in the middle of that valley? Who's going to fight him? How could you guys let him talk about our God that way? And he's just standing there going, like, if no one else is going to, I'll go do it. And, and he doesn't say anything about Goliath's size. Doesn't say anything about how difficult it would be. In his mind, it's like, if this, is, if this needs to be done, I'm willing to do it. If no one's going to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand up. I'll go in there. Put me in. I'll go and do this thing. And his brothers, his brothers and, and Saul, no one, no one takes him seriously. They all think that he's going towards his funeral. And everyone's trying to talk him out of it. But for David, David, it's just as simple as he saw the invisible, so he was able to do the impossible. He, he knew if God, if God was for him, then who could be against him? And so for him, it was just it was as simple as walking forth. So, so he chooses to go and do this. But before he does, notice, look at this. This is verse 40. It says, 1 Samuel 17, he took his staff in his hand, because he's a shepherd. All he has is a shepherd's staff, shepherd's crook. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. Pause right there, your attention, please. Before David goes to fight the giant, once he got permission to do so, notice he goes to a brook and he fills up a pouch that he carried, a shepherd's pouch, with rocks for the fight. Now, that's interesting to me because it's not something that you can do standing on your two feet. You can't stand and grab rocks out of a brook. What did he have to do? He had to get down on his knees. So now here he is. Here's the picture. He's in a quiet place with a gurgling brook there in front of him. And he's on his knees putting things in a bag for what he needed in a coming difficulty. And I wonder if you understand how important it is to bow before life's battles, that you would have the mentality to get on your knees in a pose of worship before you get into situations that are like war, that there's just something to be said. I think sometimes we go into life with our pouch empty because we haven't had the time on our knees to fill up with peace, to fill up with strength, to receive what God knows we're going to need. We, we get to the battle and we reach our hand into our pouch and we have nothing there because we weren't intentional to put the things into the pouch that we would need for the coming difficulty. Those who are wise get down on their knees before the day gets going. Get down on their knees before life's demands start to catch up to you. You got to be in a mode of receiving before you can go and transmit. But that's not my message. I just, I just thought that was interesting. And then he gets to the valley. Goliath's still talking smack. He sees David coming. He's insulted. He's insulted because he doesn't even have a beard. 
He's like, look at this beardless warrior coming at me. This kid doesn't even have a beard yet, right? He's like obsessed with facial hair. Ruddy, he's just, he doesn't even have a beard. And uh, he said, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field if you're stupid enough to come towards me. And, and David says, you're all talk and you think that you're, you, you got the stuff. He goes, but I don't come to you with sword. I don't come to you with spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And today he is going to deliver you into my hand. I'm going to cut your head off. That's what David said. Because God's going to deliver you to me, I'm going to cut your head off. Aren't you glad you came to church? And uh, so in verse 48, it says, So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran. Everyone say ran. ran. Toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and he pulled out a stone, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. There was no sword in the hand of David. Altogether, there was no sword in the hand of David. How are you going to be cutting someone's head off if you don't even have a sword? Can you imagine the time that would take with your bare hands? Try not to picture it. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. That's the first episode. The second is in chapter 21. And though it's just a couple pages turning in your scriptures, it's several years that have passed by in David's life. What has happened in the meantime? Well, he became a general in the armies of Israel. He became the son-in-law to the king. Part of winning this battle, whoever was willing to go do it, was going to get to marry King Saul's daughter. Not just that, though. Their family would not pay taxes for the rest of their life. Hashtag must be nice, right? And, and, and not only that, but there was this military prestige that went with it. And so from this moment, David was opened up to fighting battle after battle after battle, leading the nation of Israel onto the battlefield. And he was a valiant general. He was a valiant warrior. God blessed David as he did on this day. God blessed him every day. And, and he began to do so well fighting battle for King Saul, whom he always respected, who he always honored, that people began to sing, Saul has only ever killed thousands, but this new guy, this hot stuff, David, he's killed tens of thousands. And when Saul heard that, now David didn't write the song. David was doing this for Saul, by the way. But an insecure person will always detest someone else being blessed, even if they're doing it for you, even if they're doing your bidding, right? And, and, and so those, we, we often have said, who have given up on their dreams will always resent you for living yours. And David was living this dream of following God and, and doing what God wanted. Saul had given up on that dream. He, he was living not for the God's name. He was living for Saul's name. And, and so God was taking power away from Saul. And Saul hated that. And so Saul resented David as he walked with God with a clean heart before the Lord. And so Saul began to actually try and hurt David, try and take David out. At this point, we're about to jump into Saul had made six attempts on David's life. 
ranging from casual to far more methodical, far more like oh, almost meant business. The first couple of times, like, oh, ha, 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 you threw a spear at me. That's weird, right? I was playing a song for you. And, and like, that's not kind. But David would just duck and just keep playing. He would duck and, and just keep playing. He would just duck. He would never grab the spear out and throw it back. He would just duck and keep playing. He would dodge the spear and keep playing, dodge the spear and keep working, dodge the spear and keep doing what God wanted him to do. And some of you, that's what you need to do. Someone's throwing a spear at you, dodge it and get to work. What do you expect? Of course they're going to throw a spear. You're doing what God wants you to do. It's going to invite opposition. It's going to invite criticism. It's going to bring blowback and pushback on. What do you want? Just dodge the spear and keep going. Don't get a bitter spirit. Don't get a wounded, you know, kind of thing going inside of you. Don't start throwing spears back either physically or with your words. Just dodge the spear and keep going. But then eventually it became clear this was not going to stop. This was not going to end well. If it came down to it, David would actually end up probably killing Saul in a, if, if push came to shove. So David knew he needed to get out of there. Wise counsel in his life confirmed that, by the way. Uh, we preached a whole message one time called Deciphering the Arrows on how Jonathan helped him to decipher the meaning of the madness in this moment and helped him determine, should I stay or should I go now? None of us should, should, should make those sorts of decisions lightly, considering a job change, a move, this, that, or the other, right? We should, we should very carefully, with wise counsel, voices in our life, speaking into our life, and, and, and to do that. And so David had Jonathan say, yeah, you do need to get out of here. This is not going good. My father is a maniac. He's actually going to kill you. And so David knew he needed to go. But he had, he had no time to pack a bag. He had to get out of there in the night. And uh, he would be gone for, when it all came down to it, almost a decade he would spend on the run as a fugitive, okay? And, and so the question is, of course, where's, where's he going to go? Where does he go first? Does he go to a cave? Does he go, does he go hide over here? Does he go to En Gedi? Where does he, where does he go? Where, where does he go? The answer is he goes to a place called Nob. Everyone say Nob. Nob. Interestingly, Nob is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant in that day. Nob is where the tabernacle was set up in that day. Nob is where Ahimelech, the high priest, was at. Uh, Nob was where uh, the school of priests was, was at. Nob was essentially a decision on David's part to once again, before the battle of this running began, get down on his knees in front of a stream and receive some things that he would need for the difficulty that was about to come. I guess you could say David got himself to church. That's what he decided to do. He said, I'm going to get myself down at this brook. I want some things in my pouch for what was to come. So David had some friends with him. When they got to Nob, they asked Ahimelech, the high priest, they said, yo, could we have something to eat? We're hungry. We're, right, being, being a fugitive, the, the full Harrison Ford thing is exhausting. I didn't kill my wife. Tommy Lee Jones, I don't care, right? He dives off the water tower. Anybody? Anybody? No, fine, whatever. It's fine. It's on Netflix. So listen. He's hungry, and Ahimelech says, I would love to feed you. I would love to feed you and all your friends, actually, but I, I can't. I don't have anything. I don't have anything for you except for the showbread. Translation, communion crackers. I just got boxes and boxes, but that's not a good look. You're in the, in the, you're chugging the communion wine and eating the crackers. That just seems a little bit sacrilegious, right? But you know what? You know what Ahimelech did? He gave him the showbread. He gave him this, this holy bread that was part of the whole ceremony and ritual in that day. And, and, and some people would frown at that, say that shouldn't be, that's not what it's for. Only priests were supposed to eat showbread, and then only after it was there ceremonially standing for this length of time, etc., etc. But here's what we know about this whole story. In the New Testament, Jesus, he pointed back to it and said, 
Ahimelech's the man. Ahimelech knew that God's priority is never over religious procedure. It's always over the saving of lives. And sometimes grace is messy. And, and sometimes, yeah, it'd be great if, if, if that teenager didn't get pregnant. It'd be great if that person didn't have to get that divorce. But you know what? Those who represent Jesus always need to be in the business of giving out that grace. We're not trying to cross all the T's and dot all the I's. Jesus did on the cross what we could never do ourselves. We want people in need to receive the grace that Jesus died for them to have. And, and it doesn't always fit rigidly within, within, within what we wish it would, it would look like. And so Ahimelech knew, hey, on this day, the, the priority here is, 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 is saving lives. And so he, gave, he made the decision. He made the call. And he, uh, he gave the bread to David. So David and his men, they ate. They're happy. They got carbs in them. They're, they're, they're fired up to, to head out. But before they left, David had one last question. And now I've got to bring you to 1 Samuel 21, verse 8. And look what it says here. It says, And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or maybe a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me. I guess you could say there was no sword in the hand of David on this day. For the king's business required haste. That is a very creative telling of the truth, David. Verse 9, so the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. That's a religious garment. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. I won't preach to you from these two seemingly disparate ep episodes that are completely connected, a message that I'm calling, get ahead of yourself. Get ahead of yourself. You could jot that down. Um, David, in the first episode, sort of got ahead of Goliath. Got ahead, the head of Goliath. But what he didn't know was that in doing so, he was actually getting ahead of himself. Find, find five people around you, shove them and tell them, get ahead of yourself. That's your assignment, get ahead of yourself. Come on, shove them. Get ahead of yourself. Get ahead of yourself. If you're watching on the internet, you shove yourself. Get ahead of, get ahead of yourself. No, 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 hold on a second. That's generally speaking uh, frowned upon, isn't it? Don't people tell you, haven't, haven't you had someone tell you, now don't get ahead of yourself now, right? Like you're a kid and you just started piano lessons and you had to pick a song for the recital and you pick like Beethoven's fifth and you just learned the scales and they're like, you know, um, maybe, maybe a different song. Maybe, maybe Mary had a little lamb might be more like you're getting a little ahead of yourself. So that's good advice in a certain sense, right? Like first date, you start pinning wedding dresses on Pinterest. <laughs> you might scare them off. Um, Make the board private at least. I mean, come on. It's like every time you pin something, it goes to Facebook, right? You're undateable, right on your forehead. <laughs> um, or, you know, you, 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 you buy a brand new car because you're pretty sure you're going to get a big bonus this year. Yikes, right? Don't get ahead of yourself, right? There, there is some wisdom to that in, in lots of different ways of not getting the cart before the horse. 
But in another sense, if someone ever tells you, don't get ahead of yourself, that's also really bad advice in a different way. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4 that we're supposed to ponder the path of our feet. Ponder the path of your feet and let all of your ways be established. What does that mean? It means don't live your life so close up to it, just all up in the details, all up in the trees that you don't take some time to look at the forest of what's happening. And you can't ponder the paths of your feet. The big thing is where are you going? Where do you want to go if you stay with yourself? You have to get up ahead of yourself and ask the question, where do I want to get to? And is the path that I'm on going to, to take me there? So there is some, some tremendous wisdom that comes from, from zooming back and, 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 and looking up ahead and, and, and charting a course to, to where you believe that God wants you to go. you got to get ahead of yourself. Because for so many of us, I, I, I'm afraid that we're okay with just getting by. Just getting by. The dictionary defines getting by as succeeding with as least effort as possible. Succeeding with as least effort as possible. The least possible effort. In other words, just kind of, you know, getting by. How, how you doing? I don't get by, you know. So doing okay. No, no complaints, right? I texted someone recently. I said, how you doing? They said, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive, right? What, is, what are they saying? They're saying, get them by. And I think sometimes we settle for that, spiritually speaking. We settle for that, perhaps financially. We settle for that in our work life. We, we settle for just, just getting by, just surviving. You know, sort of the, the equivalent of living hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. But what I'm going to tell you is that God doesn't want you just to get by. He wants you to get ahead. He wants you to be the head and not the tail, to be the owner and not the, the, lend, the, the one who's borrowing. He wants you to, to be from above and, and not from beneath. He wants to anoint your head with oil. He wants your cup, listen to me, to run over. I wonder if there's anybody who, who would say, I don't want to just get by. I want what God wants for me. I want what Jesus died for me to have. I, want, I believe I'm, that Satan's going to be crushed swiftly under my feet. I, be, I believe my, my name is, is, is on a, a table setting in heaven. I believe I've been given the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a calling on my life. I believe there's land I'm meant to take and giants I'm meant to drive out. I'm not settling for getting by. I want to get ahead. I want to see all that God has for me lived out, the exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything we could ask or think or even imagine things come true. I, want to, I don't want to live a life that is explained by, by the, the things that have happened. I want to live a life that's miraculous. I want to be going, that shouldn't have happened. This door shouldn't have been opened. How is God doing this? How is God blessing me in this way? I, I, I want to get ahead. I want you to, I want you to get ahead. I want your family to be strong. I'm not saying there's not going to be lean seasons or tough times or desert periods, but that even in the midst of those, that you just have a sense of momentum. You have a sense of God's up to something. You have a sense of I'm in training. I, I'm, I'm being prepared and God is here and he's teaching me things in the fire and he's teaching me things in the difficult seasons. Just that you, you believe that even, in, even when you, you feel like it's a setback, that it's actually a setup, that you're getting ahead, even in in trial. You're still more than a conqueror. Do you believe that? Do you still believe that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? There needs to be that zeal that marked our early days where we were just happy to be saved and we believed anything was possible when we were a child and we said to like, I want to be an astronaut. And we did, when did you quit dreaming? When did you quit believing? 
When, when did you just accept that this is just as good as it's ever gonna get? I believe that God wants you to experience his provision and his power and a life that is, that is unexplainable, humanly speaking. Just that every day you're waking up feeling like you're on a heavenly mission here on earth and even when it hurts, he's there and he's working and he has a plan. But listen to me, to get ahead in that way, you have to get ahead of yourself. Ponder the path of your feet and make wise decisions now that will pay off later. And David is proof. How did David have a sword to receive at Nob? The answer is because he took it out of a giant's hand in Elah. And today we have the power to affect things, to, to begin things that eventually will bless us and come back to haunt us in the best possible way. You don't have to get to the future and not like what you find waiting for you there. Because scripture says, we reap what we sow. That means if we begin making wise decisions in a moment, we can believe that it eventually will lead to a supernatural harvest eventually. And I've preached this whole message to get to tell you this, what you fight through will one day fight for you. The sword taken from Goliath in 17, it's in David's hand in 21, arming him for a mission that he eventually uh, would have to go on. So we need to open our eyes to look at youth, to look at any season we're in as the chance to plant something here that will be shade for us over here. And I got four takeaway truths for you as you unleash the potential of change, which is more change, which is this over here is connected to that over there. Four takeaway truths from David here in this story. The first is this, jot it down, be courageous. Be courageous. I love that the Bible says David ran toward Goliath because that's irrational. If I'm a shepherd boy about to fight a trained man of war, I will slowly walk through Goliath. If I'm going to do it at all, I'm going to do it very slowly. And I think some of us approach change that way. We slowly move towards change. But God puts his finger on the spot and says, that's the spot. And you got to respond on the spot. There's just got to be that pep in your step that says, obeying right now, running toward the thing that scares me, running towards being uncomfortable. Because if you don't run towards it, you'll talk yourself out of it on the way as you saunter. I think you just got to barrel towards it and commit yourself. You just got to sometimes damn the torpedoes and burn them bridges. You just got to put something inside of you that says, I'm going to initiate this conflict. I'm going to, I'm going to declare war in this moment. You have to fight that battle on your terms. Which, which says, I'm going to provoke it right now. I'm not going to give myself the chance to talk myself out of this decision. I'm going to be courageous. I, I encourage you to live a life where you're constantly picking a fight with yourself. Picking a fight with yourself. I'm noticing as I watch myself like a hawk, I'm reverting over here. I'm, I'm, sh I'm shifting over there. I'm sliding over here. And you, f uh, no, 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 no. This is not, my life's too short and too precious. And what God did to get me here meant too much. And his name is at stake here. No, 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 no. I'm going to pick a fight. I'm going to run towards that giant. I'm going to run towards that giant. I'm not, well, tomorrow I'll think about it. Well, eventually, no. If, he's, if he says that's the spot, on the spot, let's go. We have to be, it takes courage to do that. 
It takes courage. It takes the Holy Spirit putting that steel inside your spine and you just run towards that thing, believing it will lead to blessing eventually. What I fight through now will eventually fight for me, but I got to have that fight in my spirit that says I'm going to run towards the thing that scares me. I guess I'm trying to say you got to run toward the roar because it's a trap to run away from it. That's the first thing. You got to be courageous. Fight the battle on your terms, meaning now. Let's, let's do it now. Second thing, jot this down. Be generous. Be generous. David didn't receive the sword at Nob just because he took it from Goliath's hands. He did. It's true. I said it a moment ago. It's true. David received the sword at Nob in 21 because he pulled it out of Goliath's hands in 17. Is that true? But, but that's not enough. You don't get a sword from Goliath here and receive it over here unless something happened in the middle. You follow me? Yeah. David received the sword into his hands at Nob, not just because he took it out of Goliath's hands at Elah, but because somewhere in between he put the sword into God's hands. Because what did Nob represent? Church. What did Nob represent? The dwelling place of God. Now, the, God lives in heaven. He lives everywhere. God is wherever you're not and wherever you are. I know. Excedrin. It's a product placement for Excedrin. But God said the tabernacle will represent me with you here. You can meet with me here. It's a sanctuary here. It's a refuge here. It's port in a storm. It's a harbor. It's a place to come in and, 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 and be collected and be, be built up and then go back out, right? So, so David, David gave the sword, obviously, to God at some point. Now, here's what's interesting. He kept Goliath's armor. We know that. The text tells us. Right after he killed Goliath, look, it says this. David took the head of the Philistine. Well, he also kept the head. That's weird. Uh, he kept Goliath's head and eventually brought it to Jerusalem. Many people believe where he buried it would eventually be called Calvary or the place of the skull. That that's where he buried Goliath's head. And that's where Jesus actually also died. But we do know this. He put his armor in his tent. Okay, check this out. The tabernacle was a tent. The armor went to David's tent. The sword went to God's tent. The armor, which is everything after the sword, David got to keep. Spoils of war, right? But the sword, which was the, the, the tip of the spear, I guess you could say, of, of what Goliath had in his hands. What Goliath said he was going to chop David's head off with. David said, I don't come at you with a sword at all. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And, and so eventually he was able to take Goliath's sword out and, and, and he cut Goliath's head off with it. But as his way of saying, God, this was you, not me. God, this is your glory, not mine. God, this is your kingdom and not David's kingdom. I want to give you the sword. I want, it was sort of like a tithe. The armor he got to keep, right? But the sword went to the Lord. The idea is I'm going to seek ye first the kingdom of God. Everything you've given me, my job, the air in my lungs, the power to do this, it's all from you. You could take it away. I could lose my body. I could lose my health. I could lose my job. But so, God, I'm going to take the first thing. I'm going to take the best thing out of all of this, and I'm going to lay it down. Didn't have to, but he wanted to honor God. He gave Goliath's sword as a spoil of war to say, I'm going to put God first. Now, now, check this out. Had he not given the sword to the Lord, he would not have had a sword on this day to receive. He didn't know when he was giving it to God, he was actually investing in his future. He, he had no idea that, that on the run he wouldn't have any weapon at all had he not given this sword to God. And I think so many times 
when we're giving, we only see, humanly speaking, it leaving our hands. We don't see what's triggering in heaven, and that is God receiving the excuse he's looking for to bless you and provide for you and take care of you and meet all your needs in Christ Jesus in the coming days. And I wrote this question down, and I wrote it down for me, and I wrote it down for you, and I just felt so strongly that we all need to ask ourselves this question. What does my lack of giving keep God from giving me? I'm going to say it again because it was, it was really good. What does my lack of giving keep God from giving me? When I withhold, what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm shutting windows that God wants to open over my life. And David gave the sword not knowing that God was just going to hang on to it for a while and then give it back to him when he needed it the most. And I believe the same for you. So we got to be courageous. We got to pick that fight. We got to fight the battle on our terms, not only so it can't, Goliath isn't alive to hurt us in the future, but that what we take from him will be able to help us in the future. So we're going to be courageous, but we're also going to be generous. We're going to live a life of generosity, constantly sowing seeds, constantly doing good, constantly giving back to God, constantly honoring him, believing then that's going to lead to the receiving that he has promised for us. That as we give, we receive. And as we give, it's waiting for us in heaven. And as we give, he does good with it along the way as well. So we're going to be generous. There's a third. We're also going to be constant. We're going to be constant like David was. You know, the definition of constant in the dictionary is to be unchangingly faithful and dependable. Unchangingly faithful and dependable. Are you a dependable person? Are you a kind of person when you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there? Are you the kind of person who in one situation, you're the same guy as you are in another situation? Are you, are you the sort of person where if, if you're asked about someone that you don't like, in one situation, you, you won't say anything about them, but in the other, you will just run your mouth, run your mouth. Or are you unchangingly faithful and dependable? I see in David, it didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter whether people were watching. It didn't matter what the situation was like. David's pretty much going to do what David's going to do, right? David's going to sing a song. David's going to fight a battle. David's going to defend a flock. Like David's just shepherd, poet, warrior through and through and through. And that's just how he rolled. So, so yeah, you get David in front of cheering thousands in the Valley of Elah, and he's going to set his cheese and bread down, and he's going to grab himself some stones like like he did it a thousand times, and he's going to go out there, and in the name of the Lord, he's going to whoop whatever's messing with the flock. But, but you put David in a different situation where he's by himself, he's doing a job none of his brothers wanted him to, wanted to do, and he's doing something that kept him back from cool things sometimes. Didn't get invited to hang out when the priest got over. Are you comfortable in your own skin, or does that bother you, that kind of thing? Didn't get invited. Do you always sit around wishing you were in a situation you weren't in? Meanwhile, you miss out on the opportunity to be in the room you're currently in? Scroll, scroll, didn't get invited to that. Didn't, oh, wow, that must be nice. Scroll, or, you, or you open your eyes and go, here I am right now. Here I am right now. Thank you that I'm with the people I'm with. Thank you that I have the things that I have. Thank you for, the, thank you for your blessings. And David's, David's like, I don't, I don't, whatever, people are there, people, oh, cool. The sheep need to be washed right on. 
And, I'll, and, and then what happens? He's watching a flock and something comes. It's not a nine foot tall giant. This time it's just a bear, right? It's just a lion. That's what he told Saul later on. How This was his rationale for why he should be able to fight Goliath. He said, look, your servant killed a lion one time. I killed a bear too. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be no different than them the way I see it. Like how logical is that? Lion, bear, uncircumcised Philistine. It's just, oh, they're all the same. They're messing with a flock, right? We don't know if the lion or the bear were circumcised. We have no details about that. The text doesn't tell us at all. But he's like, if they mess with the flock, that I'm giving charge over, I'm going to go take care of whatever's messing with the flock, you see? And I just love that David's un, unswerving in his dependability, right? He gets asked to be brought into the, to, to the, the king's throne room and sing songs, right? Sing songs. He's like, yeah, I'll sing songs to the king. But how about this? Will you sing songs by yourself when you're just in the middle of nowhere and no one's listening? Do you worship alone? Right? Hey, God told me to tell somebody, sing to the sheep. You're wondering why you don't get opportunity. Sing to the sheep. Sing right where you are. You bloom where you're planted. You be faithful here. Quit turning on your gifts when people are watching. Quit turning on your effort when the boss is watching. You get, you get yourself engaged. You get yourself in gear. You need to be a self-starter. You don't need anybody else to tell you what to do or get you going. You, you get something inside of you that says, this needs to happen. I'm going to show integrity. I can perform in private. I can perform in public. I can do things that are small and, glamour and, and, and unglamorous. I can do stuff that's big. I can just be faithful. I can be constant. I can be dependable. I love that David got anointed to be king by Samuel, uh, by Nathan. Nathan uh, is, is eventually going to be the one to coronate him as king. Samuel's the one who anointed him as king. But, but listen to this. Then dad says, go deliver food to your brothers. Wait a minute, dad, I'm the king. You need to get someone else to deliver food. I'm the king. And, 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 and don't you love that in David's spirit, he's just as willing to go deliver the, the, the food to his brothers, even when he's got this enormous thing he's supposed to be doing. He's constant. You should be too. Here's the, here's the fourth one. Team's going to come on up here. We're going to shut this thing down. Last thing I want to tell you, if we're going to be like David, we got to be loyal. Yeah. we got to be loyal. David was so loyal to Saul that even when Saul's trying to take him out, even when Saul was out of his mind, David was still honoring the leadership God put over him. David was not just loyal to, to Saul, he was loyal to his friends, loyal to Jonathan even after Jonathan was dead. He'd look up relatives of Jonathan's to bless for Jonathan's sake. But he was also loyal to the Lord and specifically loyal to the house of the Lord. Loyal to the house of God to the point that he's on the run, but he's going to, he makes his, his beeline toward the house. This was so important to David that one time he said in Psalm 27, one thing I've asked of God, if I got one wish from God, here it is, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And what, what was his reward for that? Because that's how he lived moment to moment. What was the blessing that came from that? Well, his decision to go to the house of God on this day when he met with Ahimelech led him to leaving the house of God with bread for his stomach and a sword for his hand. Bread for his stomach and a sword for his hand. Provision and protection. A blade and some bread. Gangster. Yeah. Eugene Peterson said that's always what happens when we come to church. 
his, his book on the life of David, he said, he said, when we come to the sanctuary, what happens is we receive bread for the journey and we receive a sword for the struggle. And that's just why it's so powerful to come to God's house with the mentality that says, speak, God, I welcome the word. Like, like David said of the sword, there's not, nothing like it. Give it to me. God, give me what you want for me. Give me what you want for me. Say it. Speak it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll go there. I'll be that. I'll move that. I'll fight that. God, I want your what you want. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. God, there's nothing like your words. There's nothing like your plan. So give it to me. Come on, say, give it to me. We just got to have that mentality that says, I welcome the word. God, give it to me. I need that, bra that blade. I need that bread. I need the, the rod and the staff for the enemies. I need you to anoint my head with oil and, and prepare that table before me. I need you to lead me beside these still waters. I need you to restore my soul. God, life is hard, and I'm not going to miss out on gathering together with your people where you're present in the midst because I need the blade. I need the bread. I need the blade. I need the bread. And with the power of God on our lives, no giant can stand. I like how Max Lucado put it, and we'll, we'll end with this. In his book, Facing Your Giants, he said, he said, your Goliath doesn't carry sword or shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, or depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. He prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, whiskey you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, a past you can't shake, a future you can't face. You know well the roar of Goliath, but he ended it this way. He said, lift your eyes, giant slayer. The God who made a miracle out of David stands ready to make one out of you. The truth is, the power is in the son of David, Jesus Christ who sent his spirit to fill us. Through him, we can do all things. We are more than conquerors. Where's my overcomers at? Fresh Life Church, if he gives us the bread and gives us the blade, we can leap over a wall. We can outrun a troop. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength.